Well, last week we had the sermon on little strength. This morning we have a sermon on the need for some power. The need for some power. Acts 1 verse 8. Well, to be power hungry is not usually a very attractive trait in people. We think of politicians, don't we? And uh, well, quite a few of them, I fear, are power hungry people. And we don't think more of them for that. Other people in other walks of life just enjoy titles and places where they can sort of boss people around or make things happen. That's what power does, doesn't it? It makes things happen, changes things. It moves things from one place to another. It alters the status quo, if you like. And that's what power is, capacity to make something happen. It's actually vital for our Christian lives and our Christian ministry. Power, the need for power. And God actually promises it, doesn't he? Promises power. Well, he promised it here in Acts 1, verse 8. And we want us to look back, as it were, to the companion volume, Luke's uh, Gospel. Of course, he is the writer of uh, Acts and same person to whom it's addressed, Theophilus. And the preface to the Gospel of Luke has the same person in the, in the title, as it were. Well, Acts, uh, rather Luke 24, verse 49 our Lord speaking there to his disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, power from heaven, power from on high. Well, that, of course, is what we have repeated. We're in a separate conversation, perhaps. We'll see it as in Acts chapter 1. And the church needs that. This church needs that. Needs it urgently, actually. And as we see the day that we are in, just how hard men's hearts are, then that cry for that power, don't need to go to Jerusalem, dear friends, and not tarry in the way that the, the apostles there, bit of a one-off, wasn't it? What happened with the apostles there? But nevertheless, that power that was promised is something that we urgently need to see more of in our particular day. My first heading, the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit in the life of the church. There would be no church, actually, without the life of the Holy Spirit. And there is a fact, absolute requirement. And the beginning of that promise, yes, the beginning of it, not the fulfillment in totality of it, but the beginning of it was to be the day of Pentecost, that for the apostles was the moment where that promise was fulfilled, a particular promise to them, where they were situated and their particular uniqueness and being the eyewitnesses of the Lord and being seen John the Baptist and all the things that they were particularly privileged to have seen with their own eyes. So there are some unique features of them and the power that was given has some unique features toward them. But then something happened then. Well, the results of it, well, we're the results of it, actually, of that power that, in a very visible, very audible, unmissable way, descended upon the church, that enduing with power, that first 
way in which it was visibly manifested has continued to this very hour and this very day. And when the Lord spoke to the disciples, when they asked, well, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Didn't answer that question, did he, for them? Didn't give to them a timeline there. And the answer they were given is they're not to know the times or the seasons. I rather figure that none of us are to know the times or the seasons. They lie within the Father's own authority. But here's something he's saying to them that you do need to know and is actually to be your preoccupation. And it is that that gospel should be preached. You are to be those witnesses to the risen Christ, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here we are from the perspective on the Mount of Olives, on the outskirts of Jerusalem. We're the end of the earth. We are the isles. We are the coastlands, which are to await the word. The light will come to us and read about it in Isaiah. And here we are. Gentiles, for the most part, I figure we are. And so is ever thus to be. The promise was to be firstly, very clearly evidenced as upon the apostles, but the promise actually went beyond them. That's why Peter told all those who assembled, this promise is actually for you, your children's children, and as many as the Lord our God will call. Here we are, called you and called me. If you're a believer this morning, we were called. And we were able to be here today to sing the praises of God. To the day of Pentecost begun something immense. And it was spectacular, meant to be. It was unmissable, meant to be. It was deeply, deeply significant and very multi-layered. There was a lot that was happening, a lot that was going on, and all of it fulfilled the promise of power. Well, there was power, wasn't there, in the wind. We went to look at Acts 2, the, that sound, wasn't it, there from heaven, the rushing mighty wind. Well, that was power. And then the tongues of fire, and how these settled there and sat upon each one of them, these divided tongues as of fire. <laughs> there was power in that. And then, of course, there was power in that they were given utterance to speak in other languages, known languages at that. In fact, there's no other tongue speaking other than that these are languages, known languages. The languages were with a list of the people there that uh, Luke, as it were, speaking for these people. And you can see them in Acts 2, can't you, beginning in verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. And on goes the list. For those all with their different languages were hearing, declared to them the wonderful works of God. There was power. Something happening there in the apostles to do that. They've never done that before. They're doing it now. And look at the effect on Peter, who was the representative of the apostles, the one particularly on whom the Lord at the beginning was going to build the church. He's now preaching the word of God in Acts chapter 2. And uh, we can see him there in verse 14, raising his voice and preaching. There's power in that. He hadn't done that before. Last time in Jerusalem, they'd been denying that he even knew the Lord. Now he's preaching about him and going to declare things about him. 
and he's interpreting scripture. So were you just to glance through the sermon he preaches, you'll see there's a lot of scripture he quotes, Old Testament. In fact, looking at it, about half of it, isn't it? Old Testament. And he's interpreting it infallibly. The Lord opened his mind to understand the scriptures. Didn't understand them properly before. Couldn't see Christ in all the scriptures. Couldn't see him in the law or in the prophets or in the Psalms, but he can now. And that's power. That's changed him. And now, and beyond it, this is where we're going to particularly focus in as we proceed a little later. The people are also changed. There they are, coming, they imagine, for the Feast of Pentecost, thinking that this was their focus. And then their focus changes, and they are now riveted by the message about the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the very riveted part of the whole squad of people who are instrumental in having him put to death. And now they're hearing, and how they're hearing. And we see, don't we, what we see in Acts 2, verse 37. The end of Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They don't ask the high priest. They don't say we'll just wait there. We'll just go and consult with the high priest. They might have been earlier in the temple and involved in all the offerings. But they now know that there's no wisdom there now, that there's been a transfer to these men. These are the men. They have the word of God. These are the men they have to listen to. And the effect upon them has been profound. They're cut to the heart. That's another instance of power that we see on the day of Pentecost. So many were added to the church, weren't they? 3,000 on that day. Well, this is something that is promised, promised by the Lord and how he spoke there, didn't he, in the language. The baptism of the Spirit that was to be the experience of the apostles. And that is not exhausted by what happened to them on this particular day. Oh, they were drenched. They were saturated. They were immersed, if you will. But that was not something that just happened, if you will, once. But there were other things, other experiences they were to have, other times in which the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Or, of course, changing the picture. First Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about drinking into the spirit, drinking of the spirit. There's something else refreshing that we're taking in here that wasn't available quite like this before, but that now is. So the richness and the variety and the depth of promise, what would be now unfolded, what will now be unpacked for the church? Well, we could spend ages and still not have exhausted all the subtleties and all the nuances and all the differences and all the discoveries that waited to be made, which were the result of this power that had come upon firstly the apostles, but actually now upon the new covenant church. That includes us, friends. So he said the apostles themselves, well, there was uniqueness and something exceptional about them, was meant to be. And there certainly was on this day, wasn't there? Their learning process was now complete. Luke had told us there in the preface, hadn't he, how the Lord, after he came back from the dead, um, taught them by the Holy Spirit, gave them commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
We have to see that. He chose them. He didn't choose others. He chose them. And he doesn't unchoose them or start adding new apostles to the list. These were the men, apart from Paul, of course, who was as one born out of due time. One who's the least of the apostles because he persecuted the church. So these are the men who have a uniqueness. And now they're learning. All the Lord had commanded them, that teaching has now, as it were, reached the point where teaching now gives way to doing. They've heard it. And now they're doing it and they're preaching as Peter is here with such power and such authority. We mentioned about him able to access the Old Testament now with facility. You you won't hear him saying words like that in the Gospels before. And afterwards, when the church, the new covenant church begins to assemble, the people give themselves, devote themselves there, don't they, to the apostles teaching. Apostles' doctrine, they've got something to teach. And that teaching established that early church and establishes us still to this day. There we are, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So there was power, something exceptional for the apostles, signs and wonders that they were able to do. And when they laid hands on others, signs and wonders that they were able to do. That power, as we can see here, and there's a lot happening, isn't there? That power established, as we've been thinking, the mission of the church. And turned that mission, very outward-facing, outward-looking mission. No longer more inwardly focused. Jerusalem, Israel, that's what the Lord does when, he, when they ask, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Take the blinkers off. We're looking to the ends of the earth. This is an outward-facing, outward-looking thing, not people coming to Jerusalem, coming to something happening here, but those people who there are in Jerusalem going out, going out to other places, going out to the end of the earth. Because now the mission of the church has been particularly set into motion, and with it, the power to do mission, and the tongues and the relevance of those, the bypassing now, of those unbelieving Jews who thought these men were just filled with new wine, mocked them, but who were missing actually the message. God is speaking to the nations, and they will listen. And so from that we can see the intent of God writ throughout the Old Testament now coming to fruition and fulfillment. To the very day it continues, all those people, All those tribes and tongues and peoples and nations should hear the word of God. That's the beginning of this greater project going to the end of the earth. The power that is given to the church to do it. Well, the church has ebbed and flowed in that, hasn't it? Sometimes mission has vanished virtually off the radar. And it has taken great men of vision. The Lord stirred up like William Carey. Go to, to India. Or I can think of Hudson Taylor, his burden to go to China, Adoniram Judson to go to what we used to call Burma. Or the people who had a desire to see the Bible translated so that everybody, other nations, other tongues can read it. That's all here. That all started here. That power, that stirring, to care for other nations, to have a vision for the gospel going out 
whether it's just into our own community, beyond our community. That was all begun here. And the church has had a measure of resolve and an understanding of its mission. Oh, it's ebbed and flowed. Sometimes seems to have lost, lost an appetite, lost an interest, lost a desire. Till the power had come back, God raised up people who got it back on track. And with that has been the power to call the nations. That accompanying the desire and the preaching has been the calling. That there's been something, as we see on the day of Pentecost, that has happened at the same time. An accompanying power. The power to see conversion take place. To see people cut to the heart and changed. And that result, well, it's there in the preaching. Times of revival. And that power of God comes upon preachers, comes upon churches or peoples in quite unexpected ways, but with remarkable result. Well, it leads to what we see in Acts 4, verse 13, the boldness. This is a Sanhedrin. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, there's some clarity, authority. These people know what they're talking about. And they, as we've thought on other occasions, often in my prayers, they realize these men have been with Jesus. That was striking to them, a bit worrying to them, actually, as they were expending all their efforts to try to suppress the knowledge of this Jesus. Yet the effect upon these men here that they were looking at, untrained, uneducated men, was profound. A directness, an application. Well, we see it in revival. How, how we need that for preaching today. But with it, that working in the ears of the hearers, working in their hearts, that that call, there's the preacher, there's the message, there are the hearers, they're hearing the message. That's all power, and it all began here on the day of Pentecost. So my next heading is a question, where is the power? Where is the power? Where are those, and I'm thinking here, that accompanying power? Where are those who are cut to the heart? Acts 2, verse 37. Where? are those who, well, who hear the exhortation in Acts 2, verse 14, be saved from this perverse generation, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That power, that power changing people's lives, cutting them to the heart, making them willing to do what's commanded. Be baptized. Be whatever now. Called to be. Christian. Live a holy life. Sit under the authority of God's word. Fit in there. Not that we need apostles and prophets today. I think that's crying for something that's just not there. They were for that day, that time. You had to be an eyewitness and prophets worked alongside apostles. And whatever people may claim for themselves has to be infallible revelation. Kind of hit and miss, kind of, oh, I don't know, 75% God, 25% man. That is not prophecy. And there is prophecy. This is Peter and his access to the Old Testament and his infallible knowledge. Go with the infallible proofs that the Lord had shown him of the resurrection. Ah, not the signs and wonders straightforward as though we must manufacture a rushing wind. Some churches do. They up the, uh, the air conditioning, give it a bit of a kind of, oh, tingle factor there. 
I haven't got any air conditioning to dry with. We've got open windows. I haven't got the, the air conditioning. Can't, can't manage that. Tongues of fire. Well, nobody's quite reproduced that one. And our fire risk assessment there would have a bit of work to do on that, wouldn't we just? No, but people have tried to manufacture the tongues. Try to make that happen. Well, it's within our power, isn't it? To open our mouths and do some talking. We can't make rushing wind. And we can't make divided uh, tongues of fire. But we can have a stab at speaking in tongues. Well, I've judged the results from close quarters myself. And sad to say, not very impressed with what I've seen, what I've heard. No, not man-made replicas of true signs and wonders. Perhaps not even in this day when there are so many courses so many training programs, preaching courses, and the rest of it, books to read. Well, they're good. Good to read them. Good to be as well equipped as we can be. But we must be churches the most well-read of churches that there are. Pastors with the most stocked of libraries. Well, it's good. Good to have good books. But it needs more and good books. We've got some excellent preachers out there in the open air. I can tell you their names who plead and urge and press people to listen. People don't hear them. Small, small returns. Certainly needs unction on preachers. Needs the endowment power to make the learning and the reading and the things that they've read in their books. I've read in my books, whatever. To actually happen. To come with a power and an authority. There's not shouting, and there's not histrionics, and it's not just smart communication. There's something different. People who've been in revival say there is something different. Something happens in the preaching that just in our day, in our age, and for many, many a decade, we just haven't seen in our land. We need that. We need to pray for that. They can preach with compassion, and boldness, and authority, and directness, and with clarity. But then, yes, that Unction on the hearers. Well, what is this? Well, it's John 16, and it's verses 8 to 11. And here's another promise that we were given. The Holy Spirit, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That's the Holy Spirit. And when he convicts of those matters to his sin, righteousness and judgment, there is change. That's power. And that's the power that we need to see in our hearers. That's the effect of the Holy Spirit upon their hearing. That's why they're cut to the heart on the day of Pentecost. That's why it made all the difference there. Peter could have preached that same sermon. But without that accompanying power, without that giving of the Spirit there to the hearer, to convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment. It would have been a good sermon, but it wouldn't have led to 3,000 being added. Ears that hear, but are they hearing? Where is that power? So third heading, this is no surprise, is it? The power is needed. That combination, that mystery, preacher, hearer, word preached, in your witness, you speaking to a neighbor, a friend, family member, but that there's a difference and they are listening. That power to preach, that power to hear. So we need it. A small church that we are, little strength that we have, getting older. As I keep repeating, I'll stop repeating it one day, I promise, but there's a fact. And we need 
to see people, <laughs> new people. We need families. We need people. We've been busy, we've been active, then we've had pandemics and we've been able to stop perhaps and think a little more and perhaps be sanctified a little more, be changed within. But oh, we need, we need that power, power changing those people that we are speaking to. So much of what is done is man-made, man-made power movements. Wow, it's all movements of the spirit. How many are, have there been? We could list them all there. We'd be here all morning. Toronto, Pensacola, Lakeland, etc., etc., etc. And I often thought they're man-made. And the results are man-made. And they were given, I think, to the church to test the church to find out what the church is made of. And it's been a disappointing experience. The failure to discern, failure to read the word of God and apply that. The gullibility, the failure to think, fear, carnality. It has been a sad, sad discovery. We need power. We need power to be holy. Oh, we need that. Be holy. I'd emphasize that word, and that word itself is multi-layered and has great depth. Resisting temptation, being open, being straightforward as people, being strong, actually, as people, and assured as people. We need that power to be holy, to push through sin, our own sin, other people's sin, to be able to stand. Power to preach better, we surely need that. So much preaching misses out the uncomfortable things like judgment and hell and sin. And yet that's precisely what people do need to hear if they're ever going to be saved. And that power that we need, that accompanying power. Well, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But it needs the hearer to hear it as such. That mysterious combination of the preached word but the ear that is being preached to. Churches of little strength, great need of this power. Final heading, pray for power. Pray for it. Pray for a day in which we will labor that will be a different day. Pray. Pray that the people who simply have not listened, who have not shown the slightest inclination to give credence to anything that they have heard, to change. And that that power, remember, power is the capacity to make change. I haven't got it. You haven't got it. But God has it. The Holy Spirit has it. And when the Holy Spirit works, we'll know it. And we'll see it. We won't need people saying, there it is in Pensacola. There it is in Toronto. We won't need that. We will see the effects because people will be cut to the heart. And they'll be gladly hearing They'll be wanting to be baptized and all the other things that are commanded. For us then to call, well, a younger generation, come away. Come away from your sin. Come away from false Christianity. We need power in the meantime to persevere. We need power to persevere. Many of us actually are tired. Many of us are weary or injured. Bearing burdens, carrying various crosses of different kinds and shapes. We, we need power to persevere. The thing that so often we say to each other to press on. It's serious to be able to press on. 
We need power in thinking a bit about the Church of Philadelphia and where we were last week, not to deny his name. Not to deny his name. For it's so, so easy to try the gimmicks and the fads to be swept along. And I could name you good men who went a long way and suddenly something found them out and they're gone. Something hit them, something ate them up from inside and they're exposed and they go off after something weird, something strange. Not falling for false solutions. Praying to be more resilient, less fearful, wiser, more assured. Use the word earlier, I'll use it again. Pray for that power for yourself. Pray it for everybody else in this church, but other churches need it just as much as we do. So that power to accompany the preaching. Out in the open air, we'll be back out there, we trust, at the end of the month. But they pass by. You probably could have guessed that if you don't come out. They pass by. Why, I preached there, carols around the tree. Well, I think I preached. But as soon as I came to the microphone, opened my mouth, people just started talking. The hum of conversation just began to, to rise up. and the, It was like the commercial break. You know, time, if you could, there's a kettle to hand, you go and make your cup of tea or whatever it was. What it was. And that's the word of God. That's just not being heard. So that it would be heard. And that people would be in the fear of God. Learning that they need salvation. There is an eternity. Death will come. If they've escaped COVID, something else is coming. And to trust in that Lord Jesus Christ of whom we sing, who is so, so precious to each of us. We come again to his table. Oh, he's precious to us and nobody else. No other name for us. No other saviour. He commands our attention. His law is our law. His To obey him is pleasure and delight. Ah, oh, that they would see him too. So the need for some power. The need for some power. Beyond here, beyond this, to really add that wind into our sails, to bring to all that we do something fresh, something that will, under God, make that difference and send us on into this year, the next year, with all our constitutions, with all our bits and pieces, we've got our house in order. But we want to see a bit of that holy power, holy disorder, which revival brings, isn't it, into that way when people are weeping their way to the cross and so anxious for the state of their soul. Only remedy they can see is a saviour who died upon a cross.